And if you have your Bibles this morning, I'll be finding the prophet Haggai. The prophet Haggai. Haggai is almost at the end of the Old Testament. Go to Malachi and back up through Malachi, Zechariah, and you'll come to Haggai and chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the message of Haggai to the exiles, to the, the few who had returned from exile. Uh, you, you probably know this story by now. I think we've uh, shared uh, some things about it. But in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel had become very idolatrous and very sensual. And so um, God raised up the Babylonians who came in, uh, captured Jerusalem, tore the temple down, and deported the people uh, 700 miles to Babylon. Uh, do we have a picture here? We've got this. You can't make this out, I don't think, but this is Jerusalem down here near the Mediterranean. And that's modern-day Iran and Iraq up there in the Persian Gulf area. And that's where they were taken. And they stayed there 70 years. And you've read the story of Daniel and Ezekiel is up there and Esther is up there. And, uh, uh, and they stayed. And now they have returned under Ezra's leadership and Nehemiah. Nehemiah has them rebuilding the walls. And uh, Ezra has them rebuilding the temple. And Haggai comes in as a prophet under Ezra and Nehemiah. He's a prophet. Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, they're both prophets at this time of rebuilding. Um, so they have been here a few years, and the work has been difficult and many obstacles. And so the, the uh, rebuilding of the house of the Lord has ceased. And Haggai brings a message regarding the priority of building God's house. Amen. That's relevant, isn't it? So here we are in Haggai chapter 1, and he deals with some of the objections that the people had been bringing. For example, some of them said that uh, this is not a good time for me. It's not the time to rebuild. You see that in Haggai chapter 1 verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So they were, for whatever reason, it wasn't a good time in their life to get involved in this priority of God's house. Here's God's response to them. Verse 4. The word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses? Paneling there would have been luxuries, comforts that others normally wouldn't have. And he says, while this house lies in ruins. So their objection was, it's not time to build, and God's response was, 
is it time for you to live in a nice house? Is it time for you to have a to put your money into your house? Paint that kitchen two or three more times? <laughs> uh, if you'll drop down and in verse 9, he says, You looked for much and it came to little. You brought it home and I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. And the word busy is the Hebrew word which means to run. And, you know, you hear people, uh, they're working on their house, they have to run to Home Depot. I gotta, I gotta run to Lowe's real quick. I gotta run to the hardware. So when it comes to our house, we run. <laughs> but there tends to be an apathy regarding God's house. So God calls him on that. And uh, he says, look, this is not a valid objection. And then, and then also, he, he says, there are no funds. Uh, you see in verse 6, he says, you sow much and harvest little. Uh, you, you never have enough. You always come to the end of the month, I need to balance. What am I going to pay? What am I not going to pay? And he says, you, you drink and don't have your fill. You clothe, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages puts it into a bag with holes. What a, what a picture that makes for us when you think of a, your money bag. And you put your money in, you come home end of the week, and there's your money. And the time you end up at the end of the month, it's like there's a hole in the bottom of your bag and you have been dribbling funds out all the way to the bank. God said, there's, this, is what, this is what's happening. Where, where did the money go to? He says, you looked, you were expecting more, but then when you brought it home, ugh, disappointment. What happened? God says, I blew it away. I went. And... Here's what they are saying. We can't help with the building because we don't have enough money. What God is saying, you don't have enough money because your priorities are messed up. Now, let me assure you that this is not my sermon. This is Haggai. So I want to reassure your hearts that I am not inflicting you with unnecessary guilt on this Lord's day. <laughs> I, I, would, I would like to remind you, though, of this. Um, sometimes we think, we have this idea that um, if we back up from God's mission and purpose in the earth, that God shifts into neutral as well. You know, that, that God says, oh, okay. Notice he is active here using the economy of their lives to motivate them to consider their priorities, especially in the area of finances. He says, consider your ways, verse 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You keep, up ending, keep ending up with little. 
And God does not become idle because we put our mission on the shelf. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Well, that should certainly include our own children, to make disciples out of our own children. Amen? Amen. Is that we want to raise them up, and we want church for our children to be a happy event. We want them to have an atmosphere and and a life in church that when they are older and they go through their ups and downs and whatever, that their memories of being brought up in the worship of Jesus Christ and in the church of Jesus Christ will be fond memories to the point where they will want to return should they ever stray. So we want church to be happy for them. And we want buildings to be adequate for them. And this is what he is talking to them about here. He said, because you quit doesn't mean I quit. I'm stirring you up. So so God is focused on his mission, and he will not simply allow us to shift into neutral or get reprioritized with other things of life that are temporary and passing. But in the church, this is where we meet God. This is where we get, we find how to be forgiven of sins and obtain eternal life. This is where young people often find uh, a marriage partner. I mean, wouldn't you rather they find their marriage partner in, a, in the discipleship building uh, rather than in a bar room? Amen? Amen. Or is that just me? Hey, uh, Nick was an exception. You know, we just got, we, we just hit, uh, I don't know what happened there. I just asked him to, to tell about the building, not spill his guts on the whole deal. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad Jesus saved him or else he could be burning our house down and stabbing me while he's doing it. Nick, 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 Nick. Amen. But I personally am very happy for the church of Jesus Christ. No telling what what God has saved me from. So God is active here in their life, getting their attention by lack and by stress, financial stress and by pressure. And he says, I want you to think about your priorities. I want you to think about my house. You you take care of my house. I'll take care of your house. Now, in chapter 2, Haggai comes with another sermon. And remember, he's encouraging the builders, Ezra and Nehemiah, and he's encouraging them and bringing these messages to the builders. And in chapter 2 of Haggai, actually there's only two chapters, but it's a very powerful little sermon that starts in the seventh month, the 21st day, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. And he says, Haggai 2, verse 2, speak to Zerubbabel. He was the the leader. Zerubbabel is the Hebrew, uh, that's his name, but it's also Hebrew for uh, Zerub, or Zeruv means the seed or child, and Babel, Babylon, So he was a child of Babylon. He had never been to Israel. This is his first time down here. So he is susceptible to 
discouragement and he's wondering, you know, how, how do I do this and what are we supposed to be doing? And Haggai sends a word to this leader who's never in his life been in Israel. He was born in Babylon during that 70 years of exile. And he comes down to him and he says, uh, he actually gives to him, and this is the, uh, the core of chapter 2 and I think the core of Haggai, he gives him three very encouraging statements, very encouraging ideas. And it's to the remnant. He says, here, I want you to tell uh, uh, Joshua the high priest, Zerubbabel, the governor, and all the remnant. See, it's a small group. This used to be in Solomon's day that they were as the sand of the seashore. But now Ezra talks about how that they are a small remnant, like 40,000 or so that Ezra mentions. So it's a small group. And he comes to them in verse 3, he says, Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it like nothing in your eyes? So small group and small work. And that, that's where we might find ourselves. All right, so we are 150 people in this location. That is, that's like nothing compared to some of the great churches in the United States. There are churches with, with tens of thousands. Is it like nothing? And then he says, um, you're the remnant the work is small, the group is small. So the encouragements are powerful. That's what I want us to look at this morning. These three encouragements, they start in verse 4. And here's the first one. Verse 4. Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you. So his encouragement is his presence, but not just his presence. Verse 5, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Here's the first encouragement, and it's this. I am with you. And I'm not just present. I am present like I was in the land of Egypt at the Exodus event. Now that's what he says to these whose the group is small, the work is small, but God said, I am here. It's not the size of the work or the size of the people, it's whether God is with us. That's the key. And he says, I want you to know I'm with you. I'm not only with you, I am with you like I was with the Israelites at the Exodus. Now the implication there is, and don't miss this. At the Exodus, he is, it was an event bigger than it seemed. It was an era that was beginning. It was a new beginning for the people of God. A covenant was made at Sinai. A national identity was born. And every problem they ran into was resolved. It's not that they didn't have any problems. They, uh, the nation of Egypt kept them in bondage. God sent ten plagues. 
and then they were ready to let him go. Pharaoh would not do it in his army, but God drowned them in the Red Sea. And the Red Sea itself was an issue because they couldn't cross over. They had the mountains on the right side and the left and the Red Sea in, in front of them. And behind them was Egypt. And God parted the Red Sea so they walked across on dry ground. In other words, every problem was tackled. Every problem was resolved. They would not without problems, but because God was with them, they went through every one of them, resolved every one of them. That's God's word to us today. I am with you as when I was with the Israel in Egypt at the Exodus. I'll solve the problems. I'll bring you out. It'll be a new day, a new beginning. I like that faith of David in 1 Samuel 17, 48, when it says that when Goliath appeared on the scene, that David took his uh, little handful of stones and it says, 1 Samuel 17, 48, David ran quickly toward him. That's what we need to do with problems when God is with us. If we know he's with us, a problem pops up, let's run toward it, not hide from it. Amen? And by the way, that's good advice over all of life. If an issue, just don't be afraid. Go right into it. Don't delay, but go quickly run towards your problems. Fix them because God is with you. Here's a second encouragement. It comes beginning in verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Verse 7, And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations will come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now he says here, and this is in verse 6, he says, Once more I will shake the heavens uh, and the earth and sea. Once more. That indicates he has done this before when he shook nations. Now, my guess is he's still talking about Exodus when he shook Egypt and shook them all up. and The wealth of Egypt moved into the hands of the Israelites. So once more indicates he's done it before. Now he says, I'm going to do it again. He says, once more, in a little while. Now that indicates that it's going to happen in their lifetime. So we, we look for a historical event in their lifetime. And then he says, I'm going to shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land. It's going to be far-reaching. This is going to be a huge international earthquake that's going to come. And then in verse 7, he said it's going to benefit them financially because he says, I will shake the nation so their treasures come in. Now what is this shaking? What is the historical event that God brought about in the time of Haggai that caused them to have money to finish the temple? This is important because we don't, this means we don't necessarily have to look at our own resources, how much money is within the church, because God can cause increase from outside to come in. So what is the shaking that's going on here? And almost every chronologist and commentary will say this. 
the book of Esther follows the book of Haggai, the prophet Haggai. Haggai was around 500, 520 B.C. Well, Esther follows that. It comes later by about 20, 30 years. And here is the event. You've read the book of Esther or heard of the book of Esther probably where uh, Ahasuerus ruled from India to Ethiopia, 127 province. It was huge, the Persian Empire. Do we have a picture of that? Um, this gives you, it's like the entire known world at the time. All of that color is the boundaries of Persia. From, from uh, India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. And uh, when they came back under Ezra and Nehemiah down to Israel, Many Jews stayed in Babylon. They stayed in Persia. Persia had conquered Babylon, so they were now in Persia. And one of those was Esther. She was married to the king. Because, y'all remember that story? They had this big beauty contest, and she won. And she didn't really want to, and, but uh, Mordecai, her uncle, said, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Boy, did she know. And what happened was Haman, a Persian, like a prime minister, hated Mordecai and the Jews and wanted them all killed. So he had made plans to do it, built gallows for them, but Esther informed the king, and she had come to the kingdom for such a time as this, and the king of Persia turned on Haman, had him hung on the gallows he'd made for Mordecai. And it says in Esther 9.16 that uh, the king of Persia permitted the Jews to defend themselves against all their enemies and that they killed 75,000 in one day. So there was this huge international shakeup, and Haman had cast lots to see what day he would kill all Jews. And the word lots is Purim. So the Jews celebrate Purim to this day, sometime in March. And the days in which the Jews got relief, it says in Esther 9.22, was the month that had been turned from, from sorrow into gladness, and they, it was turned from mourning into a holiday. But here's the thing that happened. Um, in Esther 10.1, it says that after Haman and all the Jewish enemies were killed because Esther had interceded for them, that the king of Persia promoted Mordecai to be his prime minister in charge of everything he had. And the king of Persia, it says in Esther 10.1, raised taxes on all his empire. Esther 10.1. And then it says the last verse of the book of Esther, and I think gives you the key to what's going on. That Mordecai, this is the last verse of Esther, Esther 10 verse 3. Here's what Mordecai did. It says he sought the welfare of his people. The Hebrew for welfare is the word tov, which means wealth, prosperity. He sought the prosperity of his people. Well, where are his people? They're down there rebuilding the temple, which means Mordecai funneled and channeled much of that huge tax increase down to his people 
at the temple. That's what God was doing. That's the shaking that came to all those nations. And many of you, maybe, maybe most of you, have heard our testimony, how that in a recession uh, of several years ago, and our debt of one and a half million, the bank came to us when we were stressed and said, we will write off of your debt over a million dollars. In fact, I can tell you exactly how much. It's a million, one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars and twenty-one cents. <laughs> I mean, so I'm like, you would do that? We didn't ask them. They came to us because they wanted to settle loans in a recession-ravaged county. They were authorized from their headquarters in Cincinnati to do it. I said, we'll take that deal. But what is a recession? It's just God redistributing His wealth to the building of His people. Don't look at what you have. Look at what God can do. Think about Esther and who God put in charge of all the finances of the rebuilding of His people down in the land of Israel. Here's what Zechariah said about it. Zechariah 2.8 He who touches you... And Zechariah preached the same time as Haggai. They're both prophets of the same people. Zechariah 2.8 He who touches you touches the apple of his eye, and behold, I will shake... Same word my hand over them, and those that you, for whom you were servants, they will become plunder for you. You used to serve them, now they're paying you. <laughs> that is the shaking that God promises to them. So His encouragements are, number one, I'm going to be with you like at the Exodus. Number two, I'm going to shake things up so that the wealth moves in your direction. And then a third encouragement is, this is in verse 9, and he says to them that the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Don't underestimate the future of this place. That's what he says to them. I know that you're small, the work is small, but don't underestimate the glory in the future is going to be greater than the glory. And he's talking about Solomon's temple. What could be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple? And yet he says it's going to be more glorious. And in, in true to this word, the building was continued to be enhanced for the next four to five hundred years. The work went on for the next four to five hundred years. And it was in this temple that they built in Haggai 2 that Jesus himself in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, Mary, uh, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to be dedicated in this very temple as a little Jewish boy. They brought him to God. The glory, he says, uh, Simeon came up and said, he's a light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And that's what Haggai said. The glory here will be greater than the glory back there. I have one uh, final uh, point to make here. <clears throat> Haggai closes his message. And he closes it by saying, look again at uh, chapter 2, verse 18. He says, now I want you to consider this. 
Consider, I want you to consider this day onward. Chapter 2, verse 18. He says, you know, it's the 24th day of the ninth month. It's very specific. Get this date, he says. Because he says, since the day the foundation of the Lord's house was laid, consider this. Verse 19, Haggai 2, 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Has, the, has it been there before? This is the way you put it. The vine, fig tree, pomegranate, olive tree have yielded nothing. Your, your harvest has been so small. It's almost like nothing. But he said, from this day, I will bless you. What day is that? It's the day they reprioritized and aligned themselves and their finances with God's rebuilding program. He cares about his mission and his people and the future generation. He wants them discipled. And if you will join us, I think we can claim this. Name it and claim it. Hallelujah. I think we can claim this. Haggai 2.19. That if you will reprioritize your passion here, you can say from, take God's promise, from this day I will bless you. Put the date down. Fill out that little pledge card. Put the date on it and say, from this day, God's blessing will begin in my life. That's what God told him through Haggai. Why can we not say that? 2 Corinthians 1.19 says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So this is, God is a, God's a yes man. <laughs> when it comes to the promises, he says yes. So hallelujah, hallelujah. From this day, I will bless you. So, uh, Nick, give us a couple of uh, people uh, at the doors, or uh, Dave, get us a couple of people at the doors to give pledge cards. And next Sunday, we want to have all the pledge cards in. You can put them in the, you can put them in the basket at the offering, or you can uh, just give them to one of us on the way out. But let's have them all in. We'll count it up. We'll announce it. <clears throat> and uh, our our goal, our prayer is to have to reach $50,000 and hopefully even sixty by the time December gets here. We'll be well on our way to a building. We're, gonna, we're calling it the discipleship building. It'll have on the front make disciples. And you know when we put the sanctuary up on the other side of it you know what will be on the front of the sanctuary? Glorify God. And guess what our theme is, our vision statement. Glorify God, make disciples. Hallelujah. 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 From this day, I will bless you. That's what God said. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you this morning, and we take you at your word. We become expectant Worshippers, we become uh, anticipating for the things you would give to us and bless us with. And Lord, I'm excited, and I know many of your people are, and I thank you we're not dependent on our poverty to get this work done, but upon your riches. We're not dependent upon our work, 
but upon your ability to shake things up and redistribute wealth to the people of God who are pursuing your mission and purpose with a passion. And now, God, I pray this morning that for each one who will take this soberly, that they can confess your promise truly in their hearts from this day. I will bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.